Well, today we're going to be talking about interview bloopers, something near and dear to my heart. I love yes. a good blooper. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we jump into that, Sonia, how how you doing, my friend? I'm doing peachy. Um, no, I'm doing pretty well. Ever since recruiting has ended, I feel like I, I have reintroduced myself to society as a human. Um, <laughs> I wear pants. I actually go out and do things now. Um, I don't stalk LinkedIn and CareerBridge like it's my only significant other. Um, it's been going well. I pay attention at class now. I actually go to class. If I knew you were doing that, I might have intervened, <laughs> staged an intervention. That doesn't sound, I don't know. That doesn't not, sound healthy. No, I'm really not on board with the whole pants thing, but it's fine. I'm getting used to it, but no, it's been, it's been interesting. I feel like I'm like starting school all over again, where it's like a whole new set of classes and I actually like pay attention kind of sort of, um, and I'm just like excited to see what the spring is going to come. I feel like I have more time now. So I'm like looking at what other things I can get involved in. Yeah. Than just like the whole that is recruiting. So I'm a little, I'm a little optimistic. I'm doing okay. How about I'm you? I'm shocked. I'm <laughs> shocked. Um, no, I feel like you're always optimistic, which is great. You're like the half, glass half full to my, there's like obviously no liquid in this glass. <laughs> um, but I no, I I echo those sentiments. I feel like I feel a lot lighter now that um, recruiting has wrapped up for me, at least. And I think that that, but I'm still very much like in tune with the fact that a lot of our classmates haven't wrapped up recruiting, and so I think the good news in that from that respect is that like our course load is a bit lighter for most people this term. And so I'm hopeful that uh, the people who are still going through it are, are able to get a little bit more time um, for the things that they need to do. So I would say that's probably, hopefully that's a silver lining for most people who are listening. Um, But yeah, I, I continue to think about our classmates who are still still in the thick of things. Which, yes, brings us back to this episode because we were wondering what can we keep doing that A, kind of follows our journey in this process, but is cognizant of the fact that there are probably a majority of the class still recruiting. So we wanted to talk about interview bloopers um, and not the ones that are like, haha, I said something smart when the question was something. No, I'm talking about the truly, truly fuck ups that we go through because I've had some that Danny already knows about, but we're, we'll regurgitate a couple. I know Danny has some, but we have a special guest with us today. Um, he is another Section 1 fan favorite, and I promise we'll get other Section people on here, but right now we're fully invested in sharing the love with our Section. Um, we have Reese with us, Reese Royce, and so I'm going to shut up and actually let him introduce himself because... A, okay, I'm going to admit something that I have never admitted. I remember meeting you, Reese, the first time, I think, in Leo class, and you spoke so eloquently. I swear to God, I think I went to Danny and I was like, is he a public speaker? I don't understand why he sounds so fancy. Like, I just want to be around. It was you and Jess. <laughs> we were trying to, like, go through a case together. Freaking, and I yeah, the, and I was like, the two of y'all, I was like, this is why people don't speak in class. I was, just so- I was like, why do you guys sound so eloquent? What the hell? But okay, I'm going to shut up now. But Reese, go ahead and introduce yourself. It's incredibly hard to follow that sort of introduction with anything that is coherent, but I, I appreciate it, Samia. Um, yeah, so a quick introduction. When I, when I think about this, I'm like, you know, Reese pre-COVID and Reese during COVID, God, they're two different people. Currently, I'm uh, wearing a robe and have been wearing the same sweatpants for two days. So, you know, Reese current COVID is not very exciting, but um, God, a uh, quick introduction that isn't a career introduction. I'm drinking a lot of wine and I'm reading a lot of bad books. So that's what's going on and uh, meeting some interesting people. So, yeah. That's lovely. That sounds like a beach introduction right there. I'm like, I'm just, you know, chilling on the beach, drinking, drinking some barefoot, reading some bad books, but I know. Barefoot? No, no. You like <laughs> wine and you're, you're drinking barefoot. We got to aim. I I'm know sorry. that's not true. No, <laughs> we have to aim higher. 
I'm, I'm trying to aim higher and get better. Now, Reese and I are both part of Wine Club as well, the Cabernet. So I know he does not drink barefoot whatsoever. Um, I hope not. Um, also, Reese, something you failed to mention is that you make an excellent cashew queso that I've personally, that I've personally had. So this, if anyone is, is into perfect. that, hit up hit up Reese. I don't know what you put in that. I actually recently, because I had your cashew queso, went to Target and paid seven dollars for someone else's cashew queso because oh. it was so good <laughs> mistakes i'll give it to you for free just let me know oh, that sounds like the startup idea i'm just saying I mean, we can we probably need some cashew queso on duke's campus but um that was a lovely introduction it's the it's the weirdest one we've gotten pre-covid and current covid of a human form i think we're two different uh, people am i right i mean you're it's in a so row i'm in pajamas i mean it is what it is at this point but um, so let's get into kind of what your, like a quick two minutes of like what your recruiting process was before we get into your very funny blooper that you had to go through. Yeah. So I guess my recruiting process was incredibly orthodox, right? You hear from CMC, they put this list of the top companies in front of you via email you chat with your uh, cohort and you find yourself applying for Amazon, Microsoft, Google, uh, Adobe, name them, right? And so that's what my process looked like. Um, I wish I had been a little bit more thoughtful on uh, curating my resume for a few of those applications, but I kind of just did a, a drop and run like, okay, maybe I want this job. Maybe I don't want this job. And uh, as a result, uh, I, I def definitely had some interesting interviews from that that I completely was unprepared for. So <laughs> that that was my process. There isn't any like systematic approach. I know we have some just incredibly organized and structured individuals in this program. Um, I am not one of them. So <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could give you something like that. But uh, yeah, mine was just uh, learn, iterate and uh, continue to make mistakes until you land something. Which when you oh sorry yeah when when you came in did you have an idea of like the kinds of roles that you were going for or was it just truly like a let me just read this descript job description and then I'll make a decision if I want to apply or not <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, when I came into B school right so Prior to coming here, I did what everybody does. And I reached out to alums and asked them, hey, give me some input. Like, what are the, the best uh, ideas? What are the best processes? What are the things I should avoid, et cetera? And the consistent feedback I heard was uh, stay in your lane, focus on what you want to do. Don't get distracted by all the other options. That is a completely different story when you're actually in it, right? So um, yeah, when I came in, I had an idea. Don't apply for consulting jobs. Don't apply <laughs> for banking jobs. Why are you stay in tech? Mm -hmm. And uh, lo and behold, I'm uh, applying to places like Bain and BCG, knowing, <laughs> knowing damn well, even if they sent me an interview request, I'd be like, nah, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that, like you said, you came in and did what everybody did and talked to alums. Like, I actually think that that took people kind of a long time to figure out. Like that was something that I did before I got here. Cause I know I'm such a FOMO person where I'm like, I knew I was going to get here and be distracted by all the shiny things. So I had to think really critically about like what I wanted to do. So I didn't get distracted. So I did like before I even got to school, I talked to alums, but I actually don't know if that's a common denominator for most people. Mm. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that I've, well, I came to the conclusion a while ago, and that's only just been reinforced here, is that I process incredibly slow. Like, just I'm a slow learner. I have to repeat things constantly. But what I love doing is crowdsourcing knowledge. I, I learn so much quicker, and I can kind of like circumvent that entire process when I just start sourcing input. And so for me, that's something I do with pretty much everything. Right. I just gather the crowd's knowledge, see what everybody's thinking, and then go with my gut based off of some of that. And it's it's been incredibly helpful. So yeah. 
was that like random reaching out or was this like a trusted circle? I, the only reason I asked because when yeah. we talked to Luke Blackburn about it, he had like an Avengers group of second years he was reaching out to, to go. And I, I don't know if everyone has that kind of group. Sometimes it's just like, you see someone's job title on LinkedIn. I'm like, oh, maybe this is a person that's a second year that I can reach out to or an alum. So. Right. Yeah. Luke is incredibly likable. So I, I'm not <laughs> surprised to hear he had an Avengers group. <laughs> mine was mine was quite literally, and you know, hopefully, I don't, LinkedIn never hears this and finds my profile. I would just subscribe to their service for a month, do a bunch of drops because I wasn't going to pay the fee, <laughs> and I would have the plug and play, you know, message: Hey, uh, my name's Reese. I'm going to be starting at Duke. Be a pleasure to meet you. I'm interested in this space. Do you think we can set aside like 15, 30 minutes to chat? And, um, you know, nine out of 10 times people want to talk about uh, their interest and their experiences. So uh, surprisingly or not surprisingly, everybody was receptive. So I was really happy about it. Oh, that's, that's really good to hear, because I think that's the sometimes it's a concern of like, oh, you cold email or you cold message a lot of people and you don't get a response back. And for me, I didn't get a lot of responses back. I, I like tried to curate the messages and um, I'm just generally not good at reaching out. So maybe that's why I was like more uncomfortable than I needed to be, but I'm glad it, it worked out for a lot of the, our classmates. It sounds like real quick on that point, And this is the last thing I'll say about it. I think a little bit of that skill came from my undergrad years. Mm. I needed a job and I did a cold calling alums to ask for donations. Gotcha. The worst job ever. <laughs> and, uh, quite literally you had a quota of, you had to hit 200 to 250 calls a night. And, you know, you work three times a week and this was for an entire semester. So, you know, you're churning through numbers. You're constantly hearing no's. You're constantly having people ask you to take them off the list. Essentially, you're a telemarketer for the university, right? Mm -hmm. So you um, get used to reaching out and you get used to hearing a lot of no's. And that was invaluable. Like, honestly, it's a, it's a crappy experience. But if everybody goes through it, it just sets you up so nicely down the road for reaching out. I wish I would have done I, something like that too. Yeah. I totally agree. I, I didn't do university telemarketing, but when I was an undergrad trying to get a job, um, I had this like incredible woman at our career center at the time who basically was like, listen, get over yourself, start emailing people that you don't know and ask for their time. Just get out there and do it. And so I got you really used to not hearing back from people and figuring out like what I needed to say in my emails that was authentic, but that got them to talk to me. And, um, I think it's interesting because we're so like concerned with rejection in any form, but at the end of the day, like, it's not a horrible experience if someone just doesn't write you back, right? Like that's the worst thing that could happen is this person doesn't write you back. So I feel like that allowed me, helped me to feel comfortable doing that um, before I started my MBA experience. Um, okay. So you're going through, you're applying to the big tech, the, the big, the big guns, and you get to one, which I think was where your interview pooper story comes in. So let's, uh, let's talk about that. Let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> So um, I got an interview with Google, and as you can imagine, very excited, right? Uh, big name, and any other occasion, this is like the job you want. Unfortunately, it was a, a sales role. So my um, preparation prior to it was, uh, I would say, not just lacking, but non-existent, really. <laughs> was, I totally thought I could step on this call. It's sales. How much do you want? How much do you need? And, um, you know, show up and do a great job. And this was only confirmed in my first interview. Uh, the, you know, it was a two-staged interview. And the, the woman I'm chatting with, we are literally, and this isn't hyperbole, we're giggling. I mean, we're everything short of talking about... <laughs> our favorite episode of new girl like we're there and uh, i'm is I'm it like, a date or an interview <laughs> you know i started to wonder right i was like <laughs> should i do a follow-up text or call or <laughs> how does this work or maybe a linkedin message i don't know but well i get ghosted <laughs> yeah um so I'm, you know, and this is a phone interview, right? Just to give you a little bit more context, um, Google didn't set up a Zoom or a Google chat or whatever. And 
So I'm, you know, 45 uh, minutes, an hour later, I'm getting ready for the, the next call. They're pretty much back to back. And I'm currently on a high. I'm like, you are crushing it, Reese. Everything you do turns to gold. Don't stop, man. <laughs> um, honestly, that's like the inner dialogue. It's absurd and obnoxious, <laughs> but it's necessary at times. <laughs> and so I hop on the second call and uh, immediately <laughs> I realize, oh, man, you done goofed. Uh, the interviewer starts asking about frameworks, casing frameworks, which um, my wonderful C-lead member, Natalie Gilmore, had sent me all of this information on. It was uh, curated. It was thoughtful. Did I read it? No. Um, and so <laughs> I'm sitting in the interview and um, as you can imagine, just pull any sort of casing framework out of the sky and throw it there. I didn't know the answer. And so we're on the phone and he's, he's asking me a question. I'm doing my best to stall while uh, searching on Google for the answers. And so I'm like, oh yeah, that's a, it's a really tough question. Give me a, give me a second to think, is that okay? If I take a second to think about this and just write down a few things. Really? I'm frantically just like hammering on my keyboard with the phone on mute <laughs> and trying my best to literally read some article that has a pop-up coming up over the screen that I have to exit out of. And I'm just like, God, this is, this is awful. I get to the end of the interview and I'm, I'm like, okay, wouldn't give myself an A, you know, this guy hasn't been incredibly receptive in contrast to what I, the interview I just had with this woman. These are very different scenarios. So I knew it wasn't great, but I also thought, you know, it wasn't that bad. You didn't prepare. Okay. You've gone through it. This is, this is maybe they'll average out. You had a good yeah, one. That's, that's a one. We'll yeah. In the middle. <laughs> yeah. The first is an A and this is a C. Maybe I'm a yep. B. What's going on? Are they yeah. minus? We'll take it. That's possible. So, I'd also like to point out that you were in a Google interview, Googling how to answer a Google question, which I think is the funniest thing that I've, it's the funniest story that I've heard of. Yeah. So it's it pretty meta for sure. But um, <laughs> so at the end of the interview, you know, this is where I realized uh, it was quickly and had consistently been a fail. Um, it's the part where you get to ask a question, right? And, you know, hey, do you have any, do you have any questions for me? And um, I, in an attempt to be, um, I guess, I don't know, interesting and show that I've given this some thought, even though I haven't, I, I ask a question, hey, can you tell me about a time that you've, you've made a hire that didn't work out the way you thought it should, or the way that you thought it, you would hoped it should, right? Something along those lines. And immediately he answers, you know, I, I don't think it's uh, appropriate for me to talk about that. And uh, as you can imagine, I'm like, this is like, this is like clutch my pearls moment. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and um, I'm like, oh, all right. Well, um, just so you know, I'm, I'm asking because I'm trying to get a better um, understanding of, you know, the culture dynamics, you know, how are tough situations handled? And he, he repeats, yeah, well, I think it's best. We, we just don't chat about that. And I was like, that's totally fine. I get it. Well, uh, you know, here's another question for you. You know, out of all the MBAs who accept a role at Google, you know, how many uh, eventually stay on full time? Great question. Uh, retention. Yeah. yeah. Well, like a fair question, right? Yeah. Retention. Exactly. And, you know, something that you would think uh, every interviewer would know. And he answers, uh, well, I'm, I'm actually had no idea about that number. Doesn't, doesn't <laughs> like afford me any rope to kind of like pull out of this hole. It's just, yeah, I don't know. And then it's quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally, uh, hitting mute at this point. Like, oh, um, either way, <laughs> <it's not different. laughs> um, like darn, oh, uh, <laughs> Either way, going, I go off mute and I'm like, hey, you know what? Um, just so I'm not 0 for 3 here. Uh, tell me about your, your experience at Google. You know, you guys are obviously remote. How are you making sure your team isn't staying siloed? So he gives me some, you know, run of the mill plug and play answer. And uh, we hang up. And at this point, I'm like, okay, uh, it's not so bad. And again, I, I call, um, you know, uh, someone in my C-lead and I'm just like, hey, this is how the interview went. What do you think? 
And their feedback was like, oh, don't even worry about it. They've got this like good cop, bad cop scenario. I guarantee it was bad cop. You prepared, right? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like oh yeah, for sure. I prepared. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's the that's the the blooper interview. It's um and in retrospect, I'm incredibly happy it, it went that way. Uh, mostly because I knew in my gut I didn't want that role. And the um, lack of preparation only highlighted that. I'm, I'm not interested in going into sales. I've done sales before and I did not enjoy it. I'm not knocking anybody who's done it or who's mm-hmm. in it, who's successful in it. I just knew it wasn't for me. And what it also did is that it, it prepared me. Uh, well, rather, it, it put me in the mindset that you can't do what you've done previously in life and just show up. You know, obviously, that's a, a big part of it, but show up and contribute is kind of how I just started framing it going forward. And so, yes, a blooper. Yes, an incredibly awkward experience. Thank God it wasn't a video interview. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) He would have seen uh, all sorts of expressions. But, um, yeah, a lot of lessons learned. So That's super interesting. Well, on, on so many levels. First of all, this is my stereotype of salespeople is that they can just talk to anybody the conversation flows. Didn't seem like you were getting, a, there was not a lot of give and take in this scenario. It was just a lot of, a lot of you, a lot less of them. And I, they say this, but like, I think it's so true. In an interview process, they're interviewing you, but you're also hopefully interviewing them, at least from like a values alignment culture standpoint. So it's good that you had that experience and then didn't have to be swayed by the sexy Google uh, sales role in the end. Actually, I'm assuming we haven't confirmed. Did you move on in the interview process? Do I need to answer that? <laughs> Did we get to a third date here with Google? Or so I did actually get to a second interview and I did decline it this time. Mm-hmm. After, after that process, I was like, I do not even want to get up to this. You know, <laughs> like I don't even want to have this conversation again. And um, also I am definitely, um, uh, I definitely do have my insecure moments. And I was like, I don't know if I can handle that sort of rejection again mm-hmm. on the phone again. So um, no, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that didn't work out. No, I was, I remember when we were doing the discovery call and you were telling me a story, I was like sweating, just listening to it. I was like, I don't know what I would do if I asked someone a question. I'm still sweating. <laughs> because here's the thing. And I thought about this after I first heard the story. I was like, what was so wrong about that first question? You just asked if, did you ever hire someone and it didn't work out? Like, because that tells you about the qualities that they're looking for. And I was like, do you, does this guy have like, what did you do that you can't answer this question? Now I'm curious about why you can't answer it. Yeah, I have, I have no idea. It might have honestly just been he he was like, this guy doesn't know market sizing frameworks. This guy is not prepared. I'm not about to answer his questions. I don't know, you know, at the time. And, and he was right. I had zero knowledge on frameworks and uh, not saying I deserved that sort of response, but I guess like <laughs> I can, uh, you know, get an idea of why he wasn't too interested in answering any more questions. That's interesting. Well, I mean, it's nice that you're giving him the benefit of the doubt in this scenario too. Uh, yeah, you're also asking me like several months after, ask me the day after. Uh, <laughs> exactly. No. A uh, whole different response. Yeah. So. <laughs> I know. And you also said something that I, I think when we go forward, we're going to talk about it as well, but you weren't excited about Google. Like you applied because to be honest, it's Google. So like you, it's one of the big tech companies. Um, it's such a prestigious place to be. How has that part, like getting excited about or being passionate about kind of after this interview, did you change the way you were approaching things? Because let, let's talk about where you are heading for the, this summer. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a there's a few things in there. And so I'll, I'll um, hopefully answer them accordingly. A, a bit of it is that I would like to say that I uh, learned quickly from that moment, right? I was uh, introspective and was like, you know what, Reese, this, this isn't what you want, man, do something. But really, it was like, whatever, on to the next one, their loss. 
uh, Amazon, let's go, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so it wasn't really for like another month of sitting with those thoughts and uh, those feelings. And, um, you know, I guess going back to um, the first principles of like, why did you decide to go and get your MBA? And um, when I started running that narrative um, in the background, it, it just became more and more evident that, hey, you came here to hopefully work for and work at a startup. Like, that's what you want to do. That's what you've done in your past where you've had not only the most success, but uh, the most happiness, right? More importantly, the most happiness. Um, and there's something about that, that high risk, small team, us against the world feeling that I just uh, really, uh, earlier I said I wouldn't wake up for the Google thing that in this case, I was always waking up for, uh, you know, regardless of the scenario, I was always betting on the team, betting on the product and incredibly happy to do so. Um, and so, uh, yeah, to answer the first question, Samia, that's, that's kind of the thought process to where I eventually did start really aggressively going after startups. Yeah, that's, I think that's important to think about because we talk about being reflective after each interview and, and taking in and like synthesizing that feedback. But I think what sometimes you forget is some of these interviews are having ba are happening back to back. You're talking to two companies in a day. You have 20 minutes to synthesize it. And sometimes you can't, you finish it it goes terribly or it's this, you know, it's a Google interview that happens this way. You pick yourself up, dust yourself off and on to the next one. I think it, when you process that information and when kind of maybe your philosophy or approach changes is different for everyone. And it's hard to do it as well when you're in this rat race of not only with yourself, but with others, because you're seeing others get these offers and you're like, well, where's mine coming from? Am I doing it the wrong way? And so the fact that you were able to course correct for you, I think is very impressive. Because it doesn't happen. Also, to your point, Samia, like when you do have all of these back-to-back -back interviews, if you were to just dwell on the fact that that last one went terribly, how are you going to be in the mindset to go into the next one and wow them? Like that's just, it's, I think you have to find a way to keep yourself going um, especially when you have these like back-to-back -back interview weeks, cause, cause you can't, you don't have the time really to sit and, and think about it. So I guess that's kind of like to add on to the question, like, how did you keep yourself in the right mindset to continue to make these interviews productive? Yeah. Uh, God. Um, well, to start one thing that they don't tell you or they don't really prepare you for is the amount of rejection you get. And I think I'd mentioned this previously when we were doing the discovery call, uh, an MBA program, you will find some of the most ambitious and secure people, right? And I definitely count myself among them. And so when you're getting these rejections and you're asking yourself like, okay, I thought my resume was great. I thought that cover letter was great. I thought that outreach email was fantastic. Um, it's getting uh, what you said, Danny, earlier, it's getting over yourself. You know, this isn't a you thing. This is just a little bit of it is, is a numbers thing, right? And then a little bit of it is um, how much, I guess, you're willing to take to stand out there and try to get in front of an opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, I was saying that it took me a month to get in the mindset of, hey, just get up, start moving, apply, and find what you're interested in. And so, um, for me, my focus was, I looked at, uh, I quite literally went to like um, Crunchbase or, you know, something like that and, um, or LinkedIn's top 100 startups, <laughs> quite literally that basic. Go. Right? I looked, I cross-referenced anywhere that had like a Duke alum. I cross-referenced anywhere that was in a sector that I enjoyed. So I spent a lot of time in the surveillance industry. And I specifically focused on, as a product manager, focused on um, license plate recognition, facial recognition, and body-worn cameras. So I had a lot of knowledge around like machine learning and AI and uh, semiconductors and government contracts and things of that nature. So I was like, okay, well, that's where your skill set is. Startups, I know, um, although they take risks in the market uh, or the market that they're trying to enter, these are typically calculated risks and those will also follow suit with the hires they make. So try to put yourself in a position where you aren't 
um, as risky of a hire, right? They're typically also capital constrained. So keep that in mind. Um, and so that's kind of, I, I built, I guess, a framework on what I wanted and how I would go after it and what were the criterias that fit there. And uh, I had some uh, amazing help along the way. This is something that I hadn't mentioned, but there's a company called Arthur AI that was a female founded uh, Duke student. And uh, for the life of me, I couldn't get any sort of response from these people. And I reached out to Michael Wong and I was like, hey, I would love to potentially intern here but I can't find anybody's email, right? You know, and I'm doing all the tricks like Zoom info and <laughs> LinkedIn messaging and, you know, all that stuff. And he's like, oh, okay, give me, give me some time. I'll, I'll try to help you here. He ends up like two, three weeks later, <laughs> like, hey, got the email, send me a quick about me and I'll put it in front of the founder. So um, it was also things like that, just leaning on the community um, to really push forward any opportunities that I was interested in. Mm. And when you're going through this route, um, especially the startup route, because I've had questions like this, when there are no roles posted and you just have an interest and a passion for the company, how do you go about defining what you want to do? I know it's probably some sort of give and take, but how much was it you driving that conversation and how much, um, yeah, how much was it you driving that conversation? Because that I actually, I don't think that happens in such a structured approach for us. Right. Yeah. So great question. Um, so I'll talk in context of the startup I'm going to be working at for this, this summer. Um, the, the company's called Tense Torrent. It's a semiconductor startup out of Toronto. Um, for reference, there are about like 28 engineers and there's like one biz dev guy. Uh, and so I was incredibly interested in this company. And so Knowing the sector, um, having a little bit of knowledge on the team, doing my research on things like the patents that they had in place and, um, you know, strategically where they were hoping to focus their efforts to build revenue. Uh, I started to build, I guess, or decide on what role would help them achieve those goals, right? Again, I had mentioned, um, you know, there it's, it's not that uh, startups aren't taking risks. It's that they're taking calculated risks. And so again, making myself um, a less risky pick and immediate, immediate value add when I walk in the door. So as much as I would like to say, yeah, hey, I want to be a product manager here for this startup. You know, that's, I'm not as technical for a semiconductor role. So let's be realistic. Well, what are your other skill sets, right? And so these are conversations and dialogue you're having with yourself. Well, I did a lot of market entry strategy in this space. So um, maybe I can help them with that, right? And so that was a little bit of how you frame your your role. And also, this is give and take. At a startup, you're going to wear multiple hats, as we've mm -hmm. all heard and we all know. Yeah. So um, being comfortable with being a generalist, right? Being comfortable with the the odd scenarios that you'll be placed in and the things that you're going to have to just learn at a rapid clip. Those are the things that um, you can't prepare for. You can't uh -huh. write down on a Microsoft doc as a role. These are things that you pick up along the way. Um, and that's, that's one thing that you have to also recognize about yourself. If you do want to go the startup route is that, are you comfortable with that ambiguity? And that's, uh, easy to ask. It's a whole different thing in practice. Um, because in practice, you don't get the linear feedback, right? It isn't, I give you this, I get that right. Yeah. Often yeah. I give you all of this and I get nothing back, or I find out that I'm now operating at a deficit. So, um, but yeah. That's, that's kind of how you frame the role and how I kind of thought about my, my function going forward with them. That's so interesting. Um, and I totally agree. I worked at a startup before, a couple of startups before coming to business school. And overwhelmingly, that's what I found is they are looking for people who they can hire to bring in. At, when you have such low headcount, you want to bring someone in who has a skill set that you need. Like if you're going into a startup, they're not necessarily, they don't have a ton of bandwidth. They don't have a lot of people who can onboard you and train you to do a job. So you have to come being like on day one, I'm going to come in here and I will make you like X amount of money. And this is how I'm going to do it. And you have the experience to back that up. Um, it doesn't have to be direct experience, but I think like I have found that overwhelmingly is that, and what you said resonated, like taking a calculated risk on a person because you only have so much 
money, um, frankly, and you can only hire so many people. So every hire really, really matters. So um, I think that's so awesome. And like, I, I would say for our classmates who are thinking about or anyone who's thinking about going into startups, like having that mindset of what is your specific value add and like, what can you bring on day one? Um, I think is going to be so helpful in terms of getting in the door at any startup you want to go to. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. I would also just to add to that with, cause we are talking about recruiting and recruiting bloopers. I would, I would also add, um, having a a serious conversation with yourself on how much are you willing to take? Because the truth is, this is the unorthodox approach to recruiting. You know, this is what CMC tries to prepare you for, but there is no real way to prepare for it, right? Um, The internship that I have now landed, there wasn't a role, there wasn't a need. It was kind of, hey, can I create this, right? And so uh, the more often than not, the result can be you not having an internship all the way up until May, right? Mm-hmm. And are you fine with that? Are you fine with not taking the the job at uh, you know LinkedIn or Adobe? Are you fine with those opportunities passing you by? Are you fine with potentially not having an internship? Like worst case scenario, obviously not ideal. We don't want it for anybody. But asking yourself if that occurs, what will you do? Right? And uh, and because it's a real possibility. So. Uh, again, there's a, there's a bit of risk that, uh, not a bit, there's a lot of risk trying to run that game, but I think it's well worth it. it. You stay true to yourself when you go with that approach. And I'm not suggesting that the larger companies aren't staying true to yourself. There's so much to gain from that, right? So much experience. And it also signals to the market that, hey, this is what this person is about. They're doing product management at Amazon. That's a clear indication of your value in it. And again, we're talking about, um, you know, risk mitigation, how easy is it for another company to say, hey, this is probably a good hire. They work product management at Amazon, right? Uh, so you're putting yourself in a good position. But uh, for me, that that just wasn't what I wanted to do, even if it is three, four months of my time. Mm. I think that's really important because what you're talking about, I think boils down to like what your philosophy is for what you want to do the next three months, right? In the summer. Um, I think people come in with a lot of different like goals for themselves. Like if you're coming from a nonprofit area or a startup area, maybe your goal is to get into those big companies to get that brand name and that exposure to how like a bigger company works versus you're going the opposite way. I wanted to do the opposite thing, get out of consulting and go the big tech route and see what's happening in that space. But the decisions of, and I know we've talked about this as well, of if you're fortunate enough and, and you've been truly, it boils down to luck, if you're lucky enough where you have the opportunity to decide between two offers, I think turning down those big companies boils down to what is it that you're trying to get out of those 90 days? And that is sometimes the most difficult decision because I went through that. I had two companies that I was looking at and I liked both of them. One of them is kind of one of those it was Amazon. I'll say it. It was Amazon. And I was just like, am I dumb enough to turn down Amazon? When am I, when is this ever going to happen again? Where I'm in this setting, I have all of these resources to recruit and I was lucky enough. And I'm going to put this out there, lucky enough to get an offer. And am I really that confident that I want to turn it down? And I remember having this conversation. I think I had it with two people. I think I had it with Danny and I had it with one of my other best friends that goes to Kellogg. And we both kind of were just like, you wanted to take a risk this summer. That was your goal. Go back to your goal. If you're doing the same role at Amazon that you were doing previously, what are you learning? And for me, that was my North Star of going through that philosophy. But that entire process is incredibly difficult and it's hard to like quantify or measure or even put that responsibility on the CMC to say like, do this, that. It's so internal. It's so reflective of your own journey. So it's hard. It's real hard. <laughs> Completely agree. Yeah. How did you, Reese, make that decision? How did you get comfortable with saying no to to big tech? And like, what was your criteria for thinking through that decision? Yeah. So how did I come to that decision? So I guess I would like to say, you know, it was, um, I always knew, right? Oh, I always, always knew. I always had the answers here. Uh, Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Like I had the foresight. I knew it was going to happen. I was ready to do it. No, I was um, completely terrified at one point of like not landing anything. 
Um, and this was, uh, I would like to highlight, this was around the time where consultants started landing jobs. Oh. And I was like, wait, I am I behind? Yeah, wait, am I behind? What's going on? You know, and people are preparing for interviews. And I was like, oh, I, don't know, I don't know if I've even dropped a resume. You know, so, um, uh, you know, how did I put myself in this mindset or get this framework in place, I guess. A bit of it is I benefited from experience. I've, you know, I've worked at startups. So I've had the opportunity to um, see in contrast against larger companies because I've also worked at larger companies, right? And so I've run those games already and I know the scenarios and I know the feelings. Um, I didn't work at these amazing like uh, companies that had beautiful exits and IPO'd. I worked at companies that were like, hey, the credit card is turned off this week. <laughs> like, like we are, we're on a shoestring budget. We're trying to make it work. Um, you know, and so I've, I've experienced that. And I've also experienced, hey, you have a multi-million dollar budget and you're going to get to build out your own team. And um, so for starters, it was the experience. And then um, like uh, Soumya mentioned earlier, it's having just great people around you that um, will give you unfiltered, unvarnished feedback and remind you of, you know, who you are when you're questioning who you are. Um, and so those were the like abstract ways that I started to kind of get back to where I was, right? The experience. And again, what we've mentioned earlier, the crowdsourcing, going to people that I respected, going to people that input, um, you know, that their input that I valued. And then uh, past that, it, again, it was, a little bit of um, what I had mentioned earlier. And it was actually sitting down and writing out like, all right, if you are to end up at a startup, what are some of the criteria that are important to you and why, right? And so that's kind of how I got myself in that mindset. It was uh, a, little bit a little bit abstract, a little bit literal, right? Yeah, that's awesome. And I think we were talking about this briefly, but to kind of add to that, like coming into school, we kind of, bonded over the fact that we had a series of just like really bad jobs like horrible jobs where like it almost makes you I feel like I was just like blown away by kind of the number of at-bats that I'd had because I'd fallen on my face so hard before and so I I'd done all of these jobs and so I could be really clear at least for me, on at least what I didn't want. Like, I I remember we our um our uh, classmate Adamesh just did a podcast with or not a podcast a webinar I guess with Scott Galloway and I remember in that he said like business school attracts the elite and the aimless and I at least felt like I was like okay I am at least not super aimless. I have like at least like somewhat of a, <laughs> I have somewhat of a direction because I've had just a series of just like really crappy jobs. So like that helped me um, really hone in on at least like the things that I knew I didn't want to experience or to do again, which gave me a little bit more comfort in saying no to some of these, these bigger companies because I was like, I could see history repeating itself in some ways. That's a great point. And yes, whoever hasn't listened to that, that, that webinar that we did, it was really great and therapeutic. And he called us out so many times in so many different <laughs> ways for MBA students. Um, I think that's a great start, like great way to start like closing out the episode of like, I'm just, I'm so impressed because both of you have been in this unstructured job roles, or you've been in the startup environment which I can't relate to because I've always been in a big structured company. Um, for those of us or the, those classmates that are going through this process, what resources um, at Fuqua or outside of Fuqua do you recommend, Reese? Um, just because you successfully recruited into a startup and, and I know, Danny, you have exposure here. So anything we can um, give our fellow classmates that you know, plan A didn't work out and plan B didn't work out, or this is their plan A or plan C, like how can we get them a little bit more support? Yeah. Um, do you want me to take it first, Danny? Go for it. Um, so, uh, God, to be asked to give advice when, you know, I feel like I was lucky, first off, I just want to clearly state that. Um, 
But when I'm reflecting on a bit of that luck, there was definitely, again, some structure to uh, getting there. So a bit of it is the, the mindset. Just understand that there are going to be multiple at-bats here and there are going to be multiple no's here. Uh, that is not a you thing. Um, that is just a part of the game, right? Um, the second part would be outside of the mindset is to iterate and curate your resume, your pitch, your approach, your outreach for the sector. Quite literally, um, with the semiconductor one, I had done semiconductor work. And so I went in and retooled my resume that specifically called out those functions and features and what I had done. And this was a resume that had already been washed by like, you know, six to 10 people. So it was already in a good place. But um, making sure that I'm being that I was being very intentional about um, yeah, this is a numbers game. You're going to have to put a lot of them out there, but also take the time to make sure it's structured, uh, for what they want to see again, uh, making yourself a, a riskless hire, um, tools wise. I, I use LinkedIn a lot. Again, I use Crunchbase a lot. Um, they've got free services that you can get access to. They've got the whole 30 days. I quite literally would set up calendar alerts, like right before that bill hit and cancel it. So <laughs> Uh, I used those things and not for nothing, you know, the, the CMC and their, their outreach on the Fuqua alum uh, database and what they can get access to. If there's a startup or something you're interested in, email one of them, say, Hey, I would love to get in front of these guys. I see that there's a Duke alum here. You know, do you think you could make an introduction for me? I kid you not. That's like an amazing process to go through. It takes a little bit of the work off your plate and it gets you in the space where you're, you're delegating and you're also multiplying your efforts. So um, I would say, you know, do, do a bit of that. I mean, it's a mixed bag thing and what worked for me won't necessarily work for you. And you might get a hit right away on your first bit of outreach and you might not hear anything until May. And they all of a sudden say, Hey, saw your email. We now have a need. That mm -hmm. is a common scenario. So again, going back to the mindset, being okay with the rejection and understanding you're playing the long game. That's awesome. Okay. One of the things I've been working on is asking questions when I don't fully comprehend. So for the people in the back, myself included, what, like, what exactly is a semi can like, what do, what's the semiconductor? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. No worries. So semiconductors, uh, they're pretty much responsible for uh, powering the entire tech movement that we've experienced to date. So um, when you think of like uh, chips and cell phones, chips in basically chips, right? So chips in uh, autonomous vehicles, uh, chips in uh, shit. I mean, they're everywhere. They're in anything. So that's the semiconductor space where I'm interested in that uh, in particular in that space is the AI semiconductor area. So we've gone obviously CPU, GPU, and now we're getting to an area that can be referenced as IPU, which is like intuitive uh, processing. And uh, yeah, that's where I wanna focus my efforts and attention. So yeah, just chips. Perfect, okay. Thank you. I've literally been sitting on that and I was like, great, I'm going to, we are coming to the end of the episode. It is what time was, yeah. to ask your question. What I was struggling yeah. with there is like, how do you talk about this topic at a, like a really high basic level, but also add some interesting tidbits. And yeah, I guess chips, anything that uh, requires a chip, that's a, that's a semiconductor. That's what I'm going to think. Anytime someone tells me that. Well, this has been great. I think it's been super helpful. That story, I want to remember forever with Google because that is just so meta that that happened. Um, but I, I mean, it's just been wonderful talking to you. And I think this is, these are the stories that people need to hear when they're down in the trenches and they're trying to, you know, process that feedback and just, you know, hang on and keep going on to the next interview just to see like, we're all, we all went through this. We're all going through this and we will continue to go through this. I don't think you're ever going to be like an excellent interviewer or interviewee where bloopers don't happen it's part of the right. practice so yeah. yeah uh what is your blooper <laughs> we want this whole episode mine <laughs> you haven't told us you haven't told the people what your blooper was i think it's only fair i don't know reese was just so fun. okay so i my blooper was just embarrassing on so many levels where i could not even recover I had the misfortune. I had a lot of interviews for two companies on the same day. So I was going back to back. 
Um, in my particular one, I had finished my Amazon interview and I was going to another interview, another interview for a company I was very excited about, but I was running on very little sleep. I just wasn't functioning at my best. So I go into this interview. We're talking to the guy. He's being very pleasant. We're just going through like basic behavioral questions at this point. And I can't get the company name right. I keep saying Amazon in a different company's interview and their competitor. Oh, no. And not once, not twice. I said it seven times to the point where like, I couldn't even stop myself. It was so terrible. <laughs> and it was just such a shit show. I, I really couldn't. And I'm not usually terrible at this kind of stuff, but I could hear myself saying it and I could hear him or like see him react because I didn't have the fortune of just being a phone interview this live. It's just, I'm on the verge of tears at this point. I'm like, yeah. I just don't want to do this anymore. Simple oh my question. God. Like a, tell me about why do you want to work for the company? And I said, Amazon's name and it was a competitor. And I was like, Oh my um, God. Can't get yeah. You know uh, what that makes me think of though? Like, yeah. Uh, the person who intentionally gets your name wrong to drive you crazy <laughs> and make you interested. Like, what kind of interview jujitsu are you doing over here? I don't know. People get their <laughs> name wrong all the time. Maybe it was like, subconsciously. I'm like, I'm gonna see if I can like make this company jealous that I just got. No, it wasn't that. Yeah, I that's just right. I'm gonna call you the wrong name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember so finishing this, and I couldn't recover. There was, I can't tell you. I blocked out after like 25 minutes. I was like, I'm not even. I, I don't even think I asked a question towards the end. I didn't even have insightful things to say I was just like I just want to end this I want to end this now I want to forget about it and I remember I think I called I might have texted Danny and be like I actually said the wrong name seven times not once or twice um so people don't do that take a little break and that's why I always say like if you can don't do multiple interviews on the same day for different companies it's just hard because you're it's so pressurized and you have to be on and that switch doesn't happen so easily um but sometimes you do things like I do and just say the wrong company's name over and over again, just to be like, I think I was like, is he confused? Does she think she's in the wrong company? And I really think he was just like, she's an idiot. I don't understand what she's doing at this point. Um, but that was my blooper. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Was- yeah. Thank you for sharing. That was great. <laughs> Real quick before. Before yeah. we sign off, I, I want to make sure I thank you guys. This is such a cool thing you're doing. I know a lot of times um, there's a veneer that we all put up as MBA students to try to present ourselves in the best light. And you guys really just unvarnish it, humanize it and say, hey, we're all figuring it out. and We're all, you know, making mistakes. And uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to say a bunch of nonsensical things and <laughs> uh, tell people about my experience. We're Thanks for lucky. joining. Yeah, yeah we're very lucky to have you and you will never say nonsensical things. The most eloquent in our section, I think, outside of you and Beth. <laughs> Love watching you guys chat with each oh, other. Yeah, Best is exceptional. <laughs> best. <laughs> best is exceptional. Best is exceptional. Plug for best. But thank you so much. Um, thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>